I got to tell you, as we practiced that song for the last couple of weeks, choir practice became a place of worship, and uh, it just, I'm just, uh, I had someone ask me if I was tired this morning because we had a sunrise service this morning. I start every Sunday that early. Why do you think I'm so excited? I've been, I've been up for a long time. The first service was awesome this morning. Saw God work. Sunday school was awesome. I've already decided that this service is going to be awesome too. So you can either participate or you can watch. But I'm going to know God better through this time. And I'm pumped about it. Telling you. I told the first service, I said, you know, pastors generally preach text for the people until they get to the resurrection, then they preach it for their own excitement. If we're not excited that Jesus Christ has power over death, then there is nothing in the world that could excite you. Because guess what? The death rate is still 100%. So, before you get all wrapped up in your clock, take it off. You got your phone set for noon, you're not going to get out by noon. Okay? So, those of you that aren't used to this, it'll be good. Dark meat's good, the white meat will be gone. <laughs> but those of us that are here everywhere are used to it. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We have been going through the Gospel of John for now on three years. And it just happened to hit. Right on the resurrection. Is God good or what? Because I'm not that smart. John chapter 20. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 20. If you'll stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word, I would tell you that the most important thing we will do all day is this. We're reading God's word. And it's important. The Bible says... Chapter 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth. And they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, the, the face cloth which had been on his head, and not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. I'm praying that's what will happen to some of us this morning. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet 
where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know, know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. <laughs> she turned and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he had said these things to her. Boy, we got some fun to go through today. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father God. We come here this morning from diverse places, from diverse walks of life. But Father, as we've already seen in the video, we're all broken people. Not one of us good, broken. The only hope that we have is in you. And Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds that just as you did for the Apostle John, just as you did for Mary Magdalene, that you would open up our eyes so we would see the truth of Scripture and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. The world really thinks it knows what living is. You know, you can live the high life or you can you know go to a campfire and you can sit around with all your buddies because you couldn't get a girlfriend i guess and say you know it doesn't get any better than this you know the guys that are single want to be married the guys that are married want to be single it, the, the world's got a lot of things out there doesn't it i i wrote down a few of them i'm just gonna do a drive-by here we've got materialism that's where people say the only meaning you can get from life is stuff. Well, tell me how that works out, because there's never enough stuff. Apple always comes out with something new. There's idealism, there's empiricism, there's rationalism, naturalism, determinism, relativism, mentalism, mechanism, solipsism, intuitionism, hedonism, postmodernism. We have evolution. We have all these things that are supposed to help us. Uh, know what life's about have you figured it out yet this message this morning is about truly living not just anesthetizing yourself to life so that you can get up every day if you're on the red wine bandwagon where you have to take a little nip before you can get to bed and to sleep at night i've got good news for you today if you think you've got to take a pill in order to face life tomorrow, 
Oh, I've got good news for you today. Jesus Christ wants you to live a life victorious, not just humdrum. The interesting thing is that we at the church say we have the answer. Would you amen that? I would love this to be an amen church. We're not as of yet. But if you could kind of help foster that along. I'm going to talk to this side. I read the, the paper. This is a paper that comes out every month from the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. There's good stuff in here, but this whole issue was about churches that are dying in North Carolina at a high rate, faster than nearly any other state in the Union. Baptist churches in North Carolina are dying. It's interesting. I rarely agree with anything in this paper, let me say that, but this one I do. They said that largely the reason why churches are dying is because they're only concerned with maintenance, not ministry. Meaning, they're worried about keeping the lights on, the walls painted, the windows clean. They're not concerned with loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They're not worried about loving their neighbor as their self, and they're not worried about making disciples. And I'll tell you what, it's good that those churches die. And I would tell you that the whole world is living that way. If I can just maintain, if I can TGIF, oh, if I can just get to Friday, then I can numb myself up with pleasure, and then Monday, with a headache and a nasty smelling sweat, I can go back to work and start the whole mess over again. Woo, that's really living. I don't think so. doesn't seem to appeal to me. Warren Wearsby said this, Easter is the truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. I feel like this. Many of us here, even you that come to church every week, have never met the resurrected Lord. Because it's never changed your life. We're going to look at three characters this morning. We're going to look at John, we're going to look at Peter, and we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. Two people, three people. Yeah, I know math. That were at the bottom of despair when Jesus died. They were trying to cope with life, but when they met the resurrected Lord, they were never the same. They no longer coped with life. They lived abundant life. I want to read a couple verses. We're going to just take a a little tour through John. John 3, verse 36 says this. He who believes in the Son has what? Good to see you're responsive today, huh? It says, but he who does not obey the Son will not, what? See life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Now, all of us are born in that condition. You understand that. And you can't just try harder to obey God. There must be a change of ownership in your life. We'll get to that in a moment. John 10.10 says this. I came... That they may have what? Life. What kind of life? Abundant life. What does that mean? Does that look like a hangover on Monday morning and getting up to work? 
that I have to just numb myself to be able to make it through the day? Does that mean that my wife and I have to ignore each other all day long just so we don't get in the paper for killing each other? Is that it? We say we have the answer, and yet we live in life, you know, people come to church, why are you going to church today? I don't know. I was at my parents' church during Christmas, and somebody prayed this before church. Dear God, help us to go in and get something out of this thing today. If you came here to church to get something out of this, you came for the wrong reason. You see, you got to get something out of your daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come here to share that with other people. So, if you just came here this morning wanting to get something, rub up near somebody that's excited. If someone's sleeping beside you, slap them. No, no. I've had a lot of coffee this morning. The Bible is a very, I, I hear people tell me this all the time. The Bible is a very difficult book to understand. So we're going we're gonna to look. Let's bring up John 17, 3, because this tells us, what's, let's read the first four words of this verse all together. Okay, now, I have been to school for a long time to be able to tell you this, okay? This means that whatever comes after that comma is a definition of eternal life. That's why he said, This is eternal life. Okay, you with me? It's not hard to understand, is it? I'm exaggerating for emphasis. It says, this is eternal life. Streets of gold, pearly gates, big mansions. Doesn't say that, does it? Then why in the Sam Hill do we teach that? I don't know. Just asking questions here. It says, this is eternal life, that they, that's all of us, what? They know you, the, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We're created to know God, to have a relationship with him. No woman, no man will ever fill that void in you. And you can try it all over the world, but it will never and as you try to fill it in other ways, you're going to get more and more coping with life and down more and more. But I got some good news for you today. We're going to look at this transformation in three people's lives. So are you ready? Look, are you ready? We have victory in Christ. I don't know if you understand this, that Jesus' death took care of the guilt that I have because I'm a sinner. How much of it? All of it, gone, no more. The Romans 8, 1 says, now therefore is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Oh, no more guilt. So y'all church members, you can't put no guilt on me. And I'm not here to put it on you. But what about the resurrection? You see, the cross took care of the guilt of sin, but you see, the resurrection took care of the result of sin. You see, the result of sin is death. How many of y'all just look forward to funerals in your family? None of us do. That's what's so good about the resurrection. Sister Laura was up here reading a minute ago, and she said it was the, the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit. 
meaning he's the first of many that are going to be resurrected. And I can tell you with certainty that I am going to be one of them resurrected. Not because of what I feel or what I've done, but because of what God has done in opening my eyes. He will open yours too if you will but ask him. Are you ready? We're going to see what truly living's about. Let's first look at Simon Peter. Here is a man. And I put this. This is my point here. I, I work hard on these points, so at least I should read them. Because you can't read my print up there because it's just too difficult. Huge guilt led to radical love. What I'm saying is before he met the risen Christ, he was just dealing with his guilt. But after he met the resurrected Christ, nothing but love came from his life. Now, here's a man who went through maybe the worst situation possible. Let's talk about it for a minute. If I think about maybe the worst thing that could happen is having a knock-down, drag-out argument with my wife. She slams the door, walks out on Highway 39, and a truck runs her over. What's the problem with that scenario? Why does that hurt so bad? Because there's no way to get it right. There's no way I can go to her corpse and say, I'm sorry for being a butthead. Right? Well, Peter, up to this point, has been a genuine you-know-what-head. Hasn't he? He denied the Lord three different times. Why? For fear. It seems, as we read the text, that the Apostle John is sympathetic to him, and he, he seems to be at his house. He brings the denier into his house, and... The two of them are seemingly together trying to deal with what's going on. Mary comes and says, Hey, guys, guess what? Somebody ripped off Jesus. I'm putting it today's vernacular for you. She didn't think that he rose from the dead. So if you're here and you're having a trouble stomach in believing whether Jesus rose from the dead, know that the very people that experienced it had trouble. She says he's gone. So guess what they do? They take off, running. Peter gets to the tomb, and he's Peter. He just runs right in. What does he look at? Look, at, look with me at the Bible. It says in verse 6, So Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw what? The linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Now, the, the face cloth wasn't lying with the linen wrappings, but was rolled up in a place by itself. I want you to see what's going on here. Things that we just read past. That's evidence to the facts. You see, there's two groups of deniers about the re resurrection. One group says that Jesus' enemies came and stole the body. Okay? There's another group that says that Jesus' own disciples came and stole the body. But here's a little bit of evidence of why neither one of those make any sense. First of all, the linen wrappings looked like someone had, like a balloon. The air had gone out, and they were just lying there, all still wrapped. 
Do you know how much time it would have took to wrap the linen like that without a body in them? And if you're going to come, I don't know if you've ever had your house broken into. We've had ours broken into seemingly 63 times. I've had nearly everything I own stolen at least once. Now, every time a burglar has come into our house and stole things, he didn't dust while he was there, and he didn't put things back in the place where they should have been, did he? No. They're in there for one thing. They run into the tomb to get the body, and they're out. But that's not what happened. You see, all the linens are right there in orderly fashion, and the the head cloth, the shroud of Turin, people call it, right, is laid there. People want that so bad. Why? So they could worship it? Would to God that they would just worship Jesus. Good God how we get off track. But anyway, so it wasn't an enemy of Christ, but let's talk about the friend. If you come to my funeral and you come to the place where they put me to rest and you decide that you want to pull me out of the casket and take me home with you, you think that's funny? I had that happen once. Not a good day. But if you had come to my casket and took off all my clothes and took me home naked, I'd be ticked off at you. That's disrespectful, isn't it? It's disrespectful enough to come and deal with the dead, but to rip them naked and take them out in the dead. It's just wrong. Would friends of Jesus have done that? If they were going to steal the body, they would have left the linen wrappings on him. I'm just saying. But Peter saw all this and did not believe. The question is why? You see, Peter had sinned before the Lord. He had denied that he even knew the Lord three times. And the cloud of sin, the guilt that sin brings into all of our lives, clouds us from being able to really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It blocks us from being able to see the truth. And only the light of Scripture and God opening our eyes to see the truth of it can ever help us. Peter is in a bad shape right here. We read later on in the book in chapter 21 that Peter goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he knows. He's coping with life. I'll go back to what's familiar. So he goes back to fishing. and Jesus appears. He comes to, to Peter and he says, Peter, uh, yes, Lord, do you love me? Guess what Peter said? Yeah, yes, you, yes, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, by the way, he said, uh, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, well, go feed my lambs. Then there was a pause. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? How do you think Peter's feeling now? The guilt is just killing him. Jesus says, go feed my lambs. And then Jesus proceeds to tell him that his life is going to end in death for him. And Peter says it's worth it. Why? Because he'd been with the risen Christ. There was a change in his life from being with Christ. Peter, the denier, is the first one in Acts to stand up and preach Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if we read in 1 Peter 1, 
verse 20 through 22. This is Paul, Peter's epistle that he writes later on. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for our sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that what? Your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Jesus had already said, the world's going to know you're my disciples. What? By the way that we love one another. I got just a simple question, and then we'll be done with Peter for now. Have you ever come to the place in your life where the reality of your own guilt struck you? See, I see people nodding their heads, and this is good. You should remember that time. When was the time? Was I seven? Was I 17? Was I 70? When God showed me who I was. You see, the whole denial of Jesus Christ and the depths of Peter's guilt was God showing him who he was. Aren't you glad he didn't leave him there? Man, I am. I tell you what, if you there seems to be two groups. There seems to be a group over here that says, I don't have any guilt. I'm better than most. They wouldn't say they're perfect, but they really feel that way. I'm better than most people. Then there's the this side over here that they know they have done. They know they're sinners and they know that God will not accept them. And I'll tell you, this group over here, there's no hope for you if you feel like you're a good person. None. But if you're over on this side and you're like Peter where the hopelessness of guilt has come over you, I've got great news for you that if you'll just lay it down before the Lord Jesus Christ, He will save you. And it doesn't have a lick to do with your church attendance, with the work you do. Now all this stuff will come through your relationship with the Lord, but that's not the basis of it. Now, if you have given your life to the Lord, the hope of the resurrection should cause you to love other people. And I'm just saying, most churches aren't really a loving place. You say, what? Yeah. Gotta tell you, it's kind of cold sometimes. Now, I think our church is making great strides in this. But it will only happen as we grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't know the Lord today, I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. Now, let's move on. We got John. John is a man, and I have hurried fear. He was... uh, Before he saw the risen Lord, he is fearful. And afterwards, he has renewed faith. Here's a man who who knew what it was like to be near Christ. Every time the Bible mentions John, it says he was up near Christ. You ever had, I've been working with the school here lately, and there's a couple kids that just want to be up under your arm every minute. You ever been around those kids? Now, if you're the mom, it gets annoying sometimes. But you should just sit back and think, this little child wants to be around me. That's John. If Jesus was there, 
He didn't want to be in the back row. He wanted to be up here. He wanted to be as near to Christ as he could be. He didn't want separation. He was at the cross. He saw Jesus die, and he's struggling right here. You think you're the only one that struggles? The Bible tells us that these people, these great heroes of the faith, struggled. That's comforting to me. Isn't it to you? John's struggling. He has lost his whole foundation for love. He'd staked it all on Christ, and seemingly it was all gone. And he runs all the way. By the way, he says twice, I'm faster than Peter. He's writing this. He's, By the way, I beat him there. But he got all the way to the tomb, and he stopped. He looked in, and he saw the grave closing, and he was so afraid that Jesus was dead. The fear overwhelmed him. He couldn't couldn't go in well peter walks right in so john suddenly goes in after and he sees the same thing peter saw but the bible says that in verse 8 it says so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and what how come it is that in this church service some people will hear the gospel of jesus christ and believe and others will not you ever ask yourself that question? I don't know that I have the answer, except that you're receptive to the hearing of the word. There's nothing magical about the words, is there? It's about the ground that it falls on. When he saw the evidence, he immediately, all the words that Jesus had told him immediately started rushing back to him, and he remembers he told me he was going to rise. And he did. John writes in 1 John. Ooh, this is a good couple of verses, right? They're all good. Right? Tammy, you agree? Thank you. 1 John 5, 3-4 says this. For this is what? Okay, you were louder in the beginning. Okay, what is it? This, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome jesus really narrowed it down to three love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself and go make disciples that's it period it's not a burden if you've been with the risen lord john by the way was the only one of the disciples that did not die a martyr's death However, he was exiled to Patmos, and he was dipped in hot oil. They tried to boil him, deep fat fry him, southern style, but he just wouldn't die. He says, for whatever is born of God, what? And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Now, here's the question. We say, I, you're all in church today. You're all feeling good about yourself. If I went around you, I believe, I believe. It says if you believe, you will overcome the world. What does that mean? Does that mean that when I got saved, it's nothing but rainbows and fairy tales? Overcome means I went through the world and God gave me victory 
through the circumstances of life. Some of you are here, you think you're the only ones that have marital problems. Some of you here think you're the only one that has anger issues or lust problems or trust issues. But the Bible tells us that every one of us have these problems. And if we would just come to God, say, I give it all to you, and I'm not going to trust in me anymore. I'm going to trust in you. He says, if you'll just do that, give it all to me, I'll work in and through you, and you'll find life that you ain't never had before. They could deep fat fry you. And ain't going to kill you. I don't know. That seems good to me. I don't know. Have you ever observed the evidence of Christ's resurrection and then faced your own fear of death? I talked about this at great length in the first service, and, you know, sometimes things hit me at different times, but we don't like to deal with death. We don't even like to say the word, do we? We like to say, oh, they passed on, or oh, they expired, like they had a date on their back, and they said, oh, milk expires, we die. Why? Most of us have never been honest enough before God to face this fear. And that's why we will live life in uncertainty and never have victory over anything because we just have never faced the fact that the death rate is still 100%. John did. He saw the risen Lord and he saw, hey, there's nothing more to be afraid of. If you've not given your life to Christ, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I do. Let's go on to Mary. I can't, you know, as a pastor, you just have to keep a sense of humor sometimes. Mary Magdalene, here is a woman who loved Jesus Christ. And she is in hopeless sorrow right now, but it's going to lead to a new call on her life. Here's a woman that Jesus cast seven demons out of. Now, if you had seven demons in you, and I think some of you do, we won't name names today. Julie, I wasn't looking at you. So <laughs> some of us, if Jesus cast seven demons out of us, right? We'd be like, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to go back to life as usual. This is what we do. Time of crisis, call on the Lord. Right? We did it as a nation at 9-11, right? Oh, dear God, there's pigs playing in the legs. God, help us. Well, that was done. A week later. Didn't happen with Mary. You see, see, Mary got to know Jesus. Okay? And after he healed her or called the demons out of her, she got to know him. That's, meant, that's our problem today. That's why church is church for you. It's because you don't know the one we're celebrating. It's like going to a birthday party and not knowing the person that's their birthday. I don't know why that said that. but She wanted to be close to Jesus. And I'll tell you this. If you have a walk with him and you taste what it is to be and to know him, 
you're not going to be satisfied with anything else. Now, look at verse 12. It's interesting. There's two angels sitting, one at the head and one at the feet. You say, what's the big deal about that? I've heard about that my whole life. Let me tell you, this is a good thing. You don't know the Old Testament, you won't know this. But in the Old Testament, they had to worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. God dwelt in a little place called the Holy of Holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant in there. And um, in, in the Ark of the Covenant was the law, the Ten Commandments. God revealing Himself. Right? And on top of the Ark was two golden cherubim. Or bim, however you want to say it. And in between those angels was called the mercy seat. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Aren't you glad God's not fair? Anyway, the two angels here are saying, Hey, no longer do you got to go to a temple to see Jesus. See God to worship Him. Now, the risen Lord is the mercy seat. That's some good stuff. If you don't have a clue of what that means, whoo, buddy. How come the angels are so rude to Mary? How come? How come the angels look at it? Woman, why are you weeping? Would you stop crying already? They're happy tears. No, they're not happy tears here. She's hopeless in sorrow, knowing that the person she had staked her life on is dead. Now, I want you to just stay with me in your glorified imagination here. Now, it says, they have taken away my Lord, verse 13, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. I want you to think about it like this. The angels are here. You got it? Shake your head if you're with me. The angels are here. Mary's here. Jesus comes up here. The angels see Jesus. So she's looking at these angels. They're saying, why are you weeping, woman? And they go, you know, You've seen military people when the commander-in-chief comes by? That's a, there was no confusion with the angels on who was there. Believe me. He didn't need a name tag. She turns around. How come she didn't see him? I mean, she saw him, but how come she didn't know him? None of us can know God unless he opens our eyes to know him. And that Something we all should be down on our knees pleading God with. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now here's the deal. When she's trying to cope with life, she's willing to work her little head off. Doing things that she couldn't even do. You think little Mary could have whooped Jesus, dead body and all, and taken him? Tell me where he's at. I'll put him on my shoulder and I'll take him home with me. What are you going to do with a dead body at the house? You see, when we're coping, we're just trying to do our best 
to work toward God, and it's never good enough. Not until, oh, look what happened. Verse 16, Jesus just says one word to her. What did he say? Mary called her by name. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember when God called you? Do you? Are you trying to tell me that you can meet with the risen Lord and go back to normal? No, sir. No, ma'am. Maybe it's the fact that you believe he died, but, but you don't know the power of the resurrection. When Jesus said, Mary, her eyes were open to the light of the truth of Christ. And then Jesus is rude to her again. Right? You've got to understand this next text or you'll miss the whole point of Mary being talked about here. She apparently gets to his feet. Let's pretend this is Jesus. It's a thinner version. She's got it. You think she's going to let go now? Not a chance. What's Jesus say? Let go of what's comfortable. I've got a job for you to do. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just give our life to the Lord? Boom, be in His presence. He says, go tell other people that are out there in the same hopelessness that you were ten seconds ago. But we don't, we don't grab the whole of that. The paper says... That the reason we're not reaching our neighborhood is because we just don't know how to relate to our neighbors. Maybe it's because we don't know God that we don't love our neighbors. Maybe we don't want to make disciples because you can't take somebody where you've not been. I'm just asking. In Acts 1, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you what? Will or might? Okay, will. That means what? It's going to happen. If you get saved, you will receive power to do what? Be a witness. Well, brother Dan, it's not my calling. It's not my spiritual gift. Then you're not a Christian. And these men went through all the earth. Mary did too. Isn't it interesting that at Mary's deepest, darkest point in her life was her greatest opportunity to see light and to give light? I'm just proposing this before you. It seems like when we're going through deep, dark times in our life, we're crying out, Why, God? 
He's already told us why, so we can be his witnesses. So stop with the complaining and get to know him through it. He's given you tough times as a bonus. Woo! The car's got a flat tire. Yes! It's easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? But to realize that God has given us these things so that the world can see He's more important than anything else, even my own life. If you're here today and you say, I'm just a hopeless case, I want to tell you you're not. Because if there ever was one, that's me. See, I know me a lot better than you do. If you found that hope, I wish you'd stop clinging to your own comfort. Get off your blessed assurance and go tell somebody about Jesus. Let's finish this. Sir Michael Faraday, the great scientist and Christian, he was on his deathbed and somebody let a stinking reporter in. And they asked him, what are, you, what are your speculations about death? And this is what he said. Speculations? I know nothing of speculations. I'm resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because He lives, I shall live also. Boy, that's a deathbed there. I want to be like Paul. I want to get to the end and say, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, this relationship that I've had long distance struggling with my sin is gone and now i'm face to face with him how can you think that that's bad unless you've never met the resurrected christ oh i wish you'd meet him oh i wish you'd meet him. romans 5 17 says for if by the transgressions of the one death reigned through the one that's adam much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Uh, John 14, eight and nine, 18 and 19 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. How? Where's that at in the church is my question. Where's the true living? Where we stick out from the world. Where they, people say, what in the world's going on at that place? Oh, I see glimpses. I see glimpses of it. Oh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd love to see more. I mean... Just this week, we had a family in our church house catch on fire. They called me. They called me before they knew it was on fire. I'm an electrician. I said, oh, I'll just cut the breaker off. It'll be all right. They said, what about the flames that are coming out through the boards? <laughs> <laughs> they called me. Their house is full of smoke. The firemen are getting the fire out underneath and just wanted to call you, Brother Dan, let you know how much we were praising God for what he did this morning. 
had another man this week just just to share with you I'm taking Jason's class how to witness and share just make disciples I want you to know it's possible he said the first class that Jason did he cut this person came and told me Jason was nuts I said well we you know we mostly agree <laughs> said he wanted to share these lessons and teach them and make a disciple with somebody so he didn't know how to do it so he went on craigslist and just put a advertisement on there said if you'll meet me at starbucks at such and such a time i'd like to share the, the gospel message with you so he did it he went and 12 people showed up and he shared christ with 12 people i'm just asking what are you doing Maybe the hopelessness and the coping that you're trying to do in your life has nothing to do with you. Maybe it's about you getting your eyes off of you and getting them on the resurrected Lord. You see, you don't have the power to make your life better. You see, the Lord does. Just as he raised himself from the dead, he will raise you to walk a new life. And I gotta tell you, if you've experienced the new life, you will not go back and you can come up and try to slap this smile off my face but it won't work i've been a pastor for now on 11 years most people are bitter by now it's just because you're such a great congregation it's because of your walk with the lord in mind that we will ever have victory in this life would you bow your heads with me I know I've talked for a long time. But this is of the utmost importance. Way more important than anything else that's going on today. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with Him? Oh, I'm not talking about using God to get what you want. I'm talking about you knowing Him. And that His will is what you want to be your will. You see, it's really quite a simple proposition that will take the rest of your life to act out. If you want to know him, I'd love to share it with you. This is what we're going to have right now. It's called an invitation. You can come forward. You can pray. You can pray in your seat. What I'm interested in is that you speak with the Lord and that you examine your own heart according to God's word and that God can change your life. If you are a Christian here and you say, my life has been cold and dry and dark for a long time, oh, I have good news for you too. If God seems far away, guess who moved? You did, not him. Father God, we come to you thanking you for this day, thanking you for your word of hope, but also thanking you for the solution to our sinfulness, which is your son's death, burial, and resurrection. May we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name. If you would stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed.